All right, welcome, welcome to episode six of Behind the Wheels podcast. Um, welcome to 2021. I am your host, DJ Artistic. I am a DJ, a music connoisseur, and a what I would like to call a cultural curator um, based in Los Angeles, California. And I'm joined by my co-host named EB. EB, what's good with you? What's going on, everybody? I am EB, the soul musicologist. I'm a writer, blogger, and content creator based in Brooklyn, New York, with a deep passion for all things Black culture. This is Behind the Wheels. If it's your first time tuning in, we discuss everything involving Black music. It could be the past, it could be the present, it could be the future, and what's here to come. Um, we just uh, tackle different different topics each and every week. For this week, we have a couple of things we're going to get into. Um, we have what's called a rewind segment where we take it back to the past and discuss some artists that we haven't discussed as much lately. We have a segment called Fast Forward where we'll be discussing some artists who have a lot to come in the future. And we have a main segment called The Drop. We tackle one, one topic. Uh, today's topic will be about New Jack Swing. Then we have what's called a beat match, which is always fun because I get to beat EB. <laughs> basically, basically, we pick sides about usually artists, albums, things like that. And we we debate on those and we have our producers pick the winner. So we'll get into those things a little bit later. But um, until we get into it, um, as far as the year goes, it's a new year. So EB, how are you feeling about this year? Uh, I'm hoping that we get uh, the music that I felt we should have gotten in 2020. I think 2020 had some great releases. I couldn't name any albums. I was trying to think of an album that I loved mm-hmm. from 2020. I can name yeah. lots of singles and lots of songs, but no albums. So I'm hoping that we get uh, some complete cohesive bodies of work, even though I doubt people will be able to tour their albums. I hope they still release yeah. them. That's the biggest issue. I was going to say that I feel like there's probably some heavy hitters who are holding on to albums. Like I've heard rumors about yeah. some of the main artists who have projects just ready to go but they don't want to release them because if they can't do that nationwide or even worldwide tour with it it's kind of pointless at, at, at this level so i do feel like a lot of things are based on what happens with this pandemic so i'm hoping that at least we can get some some good singles um as far as albums last year there were a lot of solid good albums i didn't realize it until i really did a recap and um, i realized that there were at least 40 or 50 albums i listened to and there was a lot of good quality uh, music, but it wasn't. I don't think it was anything that was really an instant, instant classic. Mm-hmm. I would say some of my favorite albums last year were such as um, Victoria Monet. I would say Chloe and Halle, D Smoke. I enjoyed Nas Project, uh, Benny the Butcher. It was a lot of good, good solid projects for sure. So I do think that hopefully we'll, we'll get an even better year this year. I could say as far as club music goes. It was definitely one of the weakest years for club music, which makes sense because the clubs <laughs> were closed cool. or either they're yeah. supposed to be closed. Atlanta, Houston, I'm looking at y'all with a side <laughs> eye. But but yeah, I feel like even making my New Year's Eve mix, I make that every single year. Is it's the biggest hits of the year when it comes to club music. And I was struggling after like 10, 12 songs. I'm like, there's some decent stuff that people might be familiar with, but it wasn't that many heavy hitters. But that's probably back to what you said about people just waiting for next year or this year now to put those major hits out. Yeah. Everybody's, you know, people who have the music, they're sitting on it. And like yeah. you said, it's, they can't tour it. So what's the point putting it out? Because then they're not making any money, especially if you're signed to a big label, because that's yeah. your money maker right there. And the, the label is going to want their money back. That's so true. last year, club songs, I mean, it makes sense that, like you said, the clubs were closed except for Atlanta and Houston, <laughs> but it makes yeah. sense that, you know, there were no big club songs. And then a lot of songs 
they're made in the club, meaning the song may be a hot song, but until it gets the club play, yeah, and people really don't know about it. So it's probably a lot that slipped through the cracks last year in terms of club music that people just don't even know exists because they didn't get that exposure to it. They were not in the club to hear it. That's true. And I realized that with that, um, a lot of songs became big on like TikTok. So oh, TikTok yeah. was like the club last year. So it, it's <laughs> TikTok like, is where yeah. I discovered so many new artists and songs like sometimes i sleep and i think i dream in tiktok songs <laughs> like I've, I've been now. i've been like renegade and corvette corvette and everything oh, else God. like yeah. waking up first thing in the morning so i tiktok yeah. is like you know that's like the way i'm trying to think back in the back in like you know the 90s or the 2000s like we didn't have that you know that social media for songs to take off. We had, you know, Napster and Bear yeah. shit and stuff like that, but we didn't have like these social networks where these songs would catch on like they do on TikTok. That's true. Like I would say it really started with that whole Soldier Boy era in 07. I feel like before yeah. YouTube was being used, it was where a song had to get to you from TV. Like even if it was on the box, you don't know if it's gonna be a big hit because yeah, it had to hit every single city. So people gotta give Soldier Boy his props. Yeah, yeah, he's He's a legend in that way. I'm not going to say he made the best quality music. No, I'm not going to say he made the best, but he did that. If he He didn't do nothing else, he did that. Yeah, for sure. So I I am looking forward to this year. I'm hoping that at least by summertime, if we're a little bit safer, we can um, also have some perfect music to go along with it because I feel like it's going to be a a combination of the Roaring Twenties mixed with like the the hippie era of the 70s. Like as soon as we get released from this, punishment we've all been placed on i um, think it's going to be one of the wildest so it's going to be like parties prohibition mixed with like yeah. woodstocks everybody's outside yeah. drinking nobody wants to be yeah. inside this summer nobody exactly. better not exactly. be inside this summer yeah if we safe this summer i feel like it's going to be a yeah. whole different thing so the the soundtrack of this summer is going to be major if it, if it comes to that that's what i'm looking forward to so uh with that we're going to go into our next segment which is called rewind in this segment we, we go through some artists that we haven't um, discussed in a while and with that, EB, what artist would you like to discuss for today's episode? All right, so it's one of my favorite people to talk about. It's my homegirl from Columbia, South Carolina, Miss Angie Stone, who I like to call the oh, mother Angie. of reinvention because she has reinvented herself more times in the music industry than anyone else that I know. Um, a lot of people don't realize Angie, uh, 1999 was not when she started. No More Rain in This Cloud was not her beginning. Mm-hmm of you know who she is she actually started in 1979 she was 79 79 yeah she was the f- yeah. member of the first female rap group the okay sequence. yeah i did she hear put, about that yeah, yeah she put that together um of course with sylvia robinson through sugar hill records but what happened mm-hmm. was uh sugar hill gang you know they had rappers delight which was the first single on sugar hill records they were mm-hmm. on tour and they went to columbia and angie and uh, the sequence, they wanted to audition for her and they did. So that led to Funk You Up, which was the second single put out on Sugar Hill Records, which is the first rap label. So it's the second single by the first female rap group. And that song, I mean, that's a classic. I mean, everybody, yeah. I will say from the 90s, if you know Dr. Dre's uh, Keep Your Heads Ringing, that came from. Oh, it sequence. is the same hook. The same. It's the same. The ring. The ring ding ding dong. Dong. Yeah. 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 That's oh, wow. that's all Angie Stone. She did that, and then she hooked up with uh, Mantronics, which were a big, like, electro dance, hip-hop group. They kind of, like, you know, mixed genres a little bit. She hooked up with them and helped write and produce for them. 
Then <laughs> she actually got with this group called Vertical Hold. Vertical Hold, they had this big single, Seems You're Much Too Busy. It was three of them. She was, of course, the only woman and the lead singer of the group. But they they actually do a really great remake of the Isley Brothers, Don't Say Goodnight, that a lot of people don't know exists. I've never heard I, it. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's it's one of my favorite remakes of the songs. And it's just Angie singing, you know. But um, after that, she got with Devox, and they released an mm-hmm. album called Devox featuring Angie B. Stone. Her, she originally went by Angie B. Angie B., yeah. Sequence, which is why, you know, by the time B. Angie B. came around, she couldn't go by Angie B. She had to add the other B at the beginning because Angie was going by Angie B. for a, a long time, for over a decade, I think. Everybody knows she got with D'Angelo. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Brown Sugar happened, and then also... Michael Jr. happened, their baby. But, you know, she wrote for D'Angelo. She's producing for him. She's writing for people like Mary J. Blige. She sang backup for Lenny Kravitz, actually. People don't know that. She got with one of his cousins, and they started a group. That was the Devox. And that allowed her to meet Lenny. And from there, she toured with him before she released her first solo album, Black Diamond, in 1999. And that's where you get No More Rain in This Cloud. They used that classic Gladys Knight in the Pip sample. Yeah. So classic loves. there. Yeah, yeah everybody yeah. loves that sample. Everybody loved that song. Mahogany Soul was the next album. That was, like, that really took Angie, like, everywhere. You couldn't go anywhere without hearing Brother or I Wish I Didn't Miss You. Like, everybody knew, you know, the video for Brother came on and, you know, it was the, the garbage man. It was the <laughs> lawyer. It everybody was everybody got love. It was, yeah. Angie was trying to show love to every Blue black color man. Blue white color. Knew, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was like she was giving she was she was paying homage to the black man, which, is you know, still is a, is a great song. Um, it's one that, you know, it, you can get tired of hearing if you hear it all the time. My favorite from that album was this song called Snowflakes, though. Not a lot of people know it is such a perfect song. So from 1999 to 2019, she's had nine solo albums. Her last album was actually released in 2019 before, you know, everything went crazy. Um, her favorite album of mine is probably his album called Stone Love. Stone Love was like 2004, and the big well, the first single was the uh, I Want to Thank You with Snoop Dogg. So Snoop, I remember that, yeah, yeah. That, was, yeah, that had a different a different vibe for Angie. So she did that, and she had Floetry on there, she had Anthony Hamilton on there, Betty Wright, and then this is one song she has uses the Camp Low Lucini sample. She don't Lucini? Oh, I gotta hey, listen, hear that. Listen, I gotta hear it. Listen, Angie, yeah. For that song, I was like, okay, Angie, I'm rocking with you now because it's kind of like you getting back to your roots in a way because, you know, even though, you know, Lucini was a sample itself, but you're getting back to your roots by sampling this hip hop song. So it's like mixing this hip hop that are your roots with this R&B and this this Neo Soul vibe that you created. So Angie is definitely worthy of the rewind for this week. I think she is phenomenal artist that not too many people give her props. You know, she's been doing this since 1979 professionally. That not, is 41 you know, years. Yeah, 40, yeah 42 years. now. Huh? 40, yeah, yeah, 2021. 42 yeah. years. She has professionally been rapping and singing, producing and writing. And I mean, as of 2019, she is still doing so. So I think she's worthy of, you know, this week's rewind from me. Oh, for sure. I feel like when it comes to Angie, a lot of people kind of see her as in like maybe the tear behind the Erica's and Jill Scott's and the, yeah. the artists who we mention all the time. So even mm-hmm. even when people discuss like a versus, they don't always bring up Angie Stone's name because they 
they don't realize how much impact she had and how much longevity she had. Right. I mean, because I mean, if you're doing the stuff that she's written and produced, and, that's true. That's you know, a strong you, twenty. You, you're going. For, this is 41 years worth of music from one person. Like, yeah. no one who's done a verses yet has had that. But Gladys Knight and and, uh, and Patty Labelle. Yeah, they're the only two people wow. who've had that. You know that they could say, "Hey, I've been doing this for this long." So she gets left out, but she definitely deserves to be in all those conversations. That is true. So I definitely salute to her. Uh, my pick for this week is going to be High Five, the R&B hey. group who came from early, early 90s. And so High Five, uh, me being, of course, born mid-80s, I didn't really, I knew about their songs just because they used to get played on the radio as like the throwback segment. But I didn't know too much about them until probably 06, 07. And 06, 07 is when I just started kind of getting deep into everything musically because I was DJing then. So mm-hmm. the more I read about them, it was one of those stories that was is just was tragic in so many different ways. But when you go back and listen to their music, you can see why they had a major impact. I feel like we've mentioned Immature before for my rewind. And I feel like in between New Edition and Immature, they were probably the biggest, I think, I think they were probably the biggest kind of young like teen boys type of group for uh black music in that time period so with high five they came from waco texas and i don't know about you but waco whenever i hear about waco i think about david koresh that's the only thing i even know about about waco texas that is the only thing i know about waco texas yeah yeah so they they came from there and the first album dropped back in 1990 so uh, the lead singer of course was tony thompson i didn't realize he was so young when they they dropped that album he was only 14 years old so Oh, uh, I know. Yeah, he was super young. So the first single was actually called "I Just Can't Handle It." I think it was Teddy Riley produced. It was before the, uh, before they dropped um, "I Like the Way," which was the main main single that everyone knows from them today. But right. that first single, uh, that first album was decent. It, it was very very New Jack swingish. It had that sound, but it wasn't as heavy hitting as some of the albums of that time. But it was their debut at the same time. And even with that first album, one of their group members named Toriano. He turned himself in for murder like a, a month before the album came out. So they started off on just a rocky foundation. What? Yeah, so that that's how they came into the game. So they came with that. They had a song called Too Young. I remember that from being on Boys in the Hood soundtrack. So they had that song. That was actually the first time you heard Prodigy from Mob Deep. Because Mob Deep, a lot of people don't realize before they came out with that kind of thug rap, uh, they had a song called Hit It From The Back. And they were kind of like, they were more like crisscross than than like even a naughty type group. They were more of a kid's uh. type of hip hop group, crazy enough. So they had him on there and they came back with the second album. To me, the second album was probably the best one. It was called um, Keep It Going On. So one of the songs that, that first got me connected to them was called Quality Time. It was produced by the bald yeah. head dude who wears shades a whole lot back in the day until he grew his hair out for it. After. Anyway, it was produced by him. So, but you could tell it was produced by him, but it was, it was a great quality R&B track. Uh, the main single from there is called She's Playing Hard to Get. And I still like playing that song. It's one of those songs that people still joke about. Like, it's a good meme. Whenever a girl is curving a guy, you might see that song posted as a meme in response to it. Uh, they had a track called Fly Away, which is probably my favorite, favorite track listening to it now. Uh, that album's actually the first time you'll ever hear uh, Faith Evans sing. She's actually doing the background on a song they had called uh, She Said. So mm. it's a very, very like early 90s vibe. Almost feels 80s, but, but they had that track that was banging. And between that and the third album, I think they lost maybe two group members. And 
it was chaos with the managers and all that but they dropped the third album that didn't get promoted very well but it was also a solid album the main song that we all know is unconditional love from there and that was also a minister society they had a track that made the sister act two the uh never should yeah. let you go yeah that was my song that track still sounds good um that's produced by joe i didn't realize that until a couple years ago yeah because joe was just coming out around that time in 1993 he had uh i'm in love so they had d nice on that album he produced and was uh featured on there and from there it's just when, when even more drama happened like some more group members left by 94 they broke up and had the greatest hits album and you know how it is i don't think i don't know about you but i didn't realize till i was older that greatest hits albums usually meant the group was a rap or the label is dropping them so <laughs> Yeah, whenever you see the greatest hits, it means it's it's over for them. Yeah, the greatest hits usually fulfill the uh, recording contract for the label. So yeah. even if you've had one or two albums, when it was time for you to leave the label, <laughs> they're gonna drop a greatest hits. I remember they did that to Kelly Price, and I was so confused. Like, yeah, I was. I was, I was like, why do you have a greatest hits? You've only had two hits, yeah, but they filled it, it out with twenty songs. You know, so it was like, okay, yeah. this is the way to fulfill the obligation to the label, and now you're free to do whatever you want. But I didn't know that. Uh, honestly didn't know uh high five had that many albums because i only yeah. remember two yeah they had they actually had three and they had that was maybe 94 they dropped the greatest hits and then tony thompson went solo so that's yeah. one of those kind of mystery things because i didn't even know he had a solo album until maybe five six years ago and it's one of my favorite lesser known albums from the mid 90s it it sounds very very 95 which to me is a good thing because that was kind of like a somewhat of a peak when it came to that mid-tempo R&B. And mm -hmm. he had everybody on the album, producer-wise. He had Babyface, he had Faith again, he had Diddy, Teddy, Al B, he had Devontae, Missy, and he actually remade um, Stevie, um, My Sharia Moore. And it's like, it's crazy here, hearing oh, that, that song. Yeah, yeah hearing that remake was, was definitely a fire, a fire remake. But they got back together around 05. I didn't know this until recently. They had an album in 05, and on this album, they actually so they're from texas like i mentioned earlier i mentioned that because 05 was like the peak for texas rap the main single had paul wall and uh mike jones on it Wait, so it's, yeah. whoa, whoa. both both of them on <laughs> one song both on one song yeah oh, and it's hilarious it's hilarious hearing it because it's like you can tell they're trying to be modern and just like a lot of groups like to me new edition actually did pretty good with hot tonight when they came back in 04 but very good with that yeah that it just felt like they're they're trying to force it to, to get back into those modern times tony got yeah. back with them but then from there you know that album didn't really do anything tony died two years later from 07 07 he died from inhaling i think freon and i'm not sure if it was accidental or intentional but he ended up uh, having an early demise and then the darkest darkest part a group member who left after the second album his name was russell neal he um he murdered his wife and went to jail for life from that and oh. yeah it's like I, hearing those stories like it shows that uh, it, it's it's kind of rough to even see those videos because they're they all look so happy and so joyful in those videos and that new jack swing colorful yeah, and they were so right. young they're so young when they came out and it's it shows how how many of those groups and artists came out so young but had a a very very dark um follow-up to that so okay right, so they yeah. wait so they had two murderers in the group yeah yeah two murderers hmm. actually and yeah <laughs> it's hmm. not it's not at all funny but it's like no, it, yeah it's not it's it's just a, like wow like being an r&b group is it's it's crazy hearing the music that they made it was all so joyful and youthful but that's kind of where it went from there so they wow. 
they dropped a couple albums since then. I mean, I think they had one in 2012, but you might see them on one of those like rewind type of concerts. It'll be like one original group member and four dudes they found at the corner. So they probably found somebody from across the, the street from right. David Koresh house, but <laughs> just mouth yeah. the words, just mouth the words and do the steps. Yeah. Exactly. Just, just, just learn this little two steps. So with high five, I do feel like they kind of get uh, forgotten about just like a lot of groups who weren't the top, top runners of that, of that era, but they gave us a lot of good, good music in that, in that time period. So moving on to the next segment, which is called fast forward. Basically the, uh, the inverse of that. So we're going to discuss some artists who are on the come up on the rise, who are getting bigger and bigger at this moment. So EB, who would you like to, to uh, discuss for this episode? Yeah, it's this group that I discovered. They are also, ironically enough, they're out of Texas. They're out of Fort Worth, Texas. They're called mm. uh, Revived, and it's spelled R-E-V-I-B, the number three, and then a D. Three. So the last E is a three, but they're called Revived. Yeah. Um, they're all really young, too. Like they, One graduated high school in 2018, and one graduated high school in 2019. That's last week. Yeah, it's last week. They just got out. They still got their cap and gowns on. But (laughs) it's a group of three. There are two men, Isaac and Brian, and a woman. Her name is, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Tiani. They're all the lead vocalists. So it's not a situation Mm -hmm. where, you know, one person is singing lead and the other two are backup. And they, you know, they on their albums they interchange they've had two albums so far um their first was released in 2019 in december and their okay. second one was just released in august of this year so two albums in eight months and if you listen to the mm-hmm. albums the first album is called 11 and the second album is called brainstorm listening to the albums you can really really hear the growth that they exhibit um my favorite thing about them would probably be that brian I'm sorry, Isaac, he writes, produces, and arranges all of their music. Um, mm. And that's rare these days that, you know, somebody in the group is doing all of that. Yeah, and at that age, like, too. Yeah, at that age, for them to be so young. Um, they have, like, a neo-soul type of sound. It's, you know, easy listening um, soul. I call it easy soul. Easy mm. listening soul. And uh, one of the guys, Isaac, also raps. So they cite their influences as John Legend, Anthony Hamilton, Andre 3000, Luther Vandross, Lauren Hill, her, Stevie Wonder, Tevin Campbell, Donnie Hathaway, and Jasmine Sullivan. So if you like any of those artists, you would really be into them. I think uh, their second album is obviously my favorite just because you can clearly hear the growth listening to the first and the second. But some songs that people need to check out will probably be Polaroid, Sixth Minor, feel and well oh well because the crazy thing is all of those songs they're each singing lead and there's a rap in one of the songs but it just it's so melodic and you can tell that they really uh they love they love the music they love what they do and i'm really excited to hear you know 10 20 years from now hopefully they'll still be together like what like how they grow and what their sound is like and then maybe one day instead of being the fast forward they'll be the rewind yeah seriously seriously because they I haven't heard too much about them. Um, of course, seeing their name is like, okay, it's spelled just like the modern. Every modern group has to have a number yeah. in place of a letter, just like six lack. He's never right, been called right. black to me. Yeah, but, but no, definitely. Uh, it's always dope hearing new groups that have, like you said, have a, a group member who is producing, writing, doing the arrangements, because that's one reason that a lot of groups get lost in the shuffle is because they don't have a strong direction. It's always right. 
they're kind of like at mercy to who's producing for them. So they're a type group that if the right people get behind them to push them, it's like, look, you already have your sound. You already have a direction to go in. So Right. And and since they're still so young, I, I th- this, I'm excited just to hear how they grow, you know, sonically. And then also, you know, with the lyrics and everything, their lyrics are actually pretty mature. So listening mm-hmm. to it, you don't get, you know, these people just graduated high school or they're in college right now. Yeah. Their lyrics are actually very, very mature um, and the subject matter. It, you know, it's beautiful. Their albums are beautiful. For my pick this week is going to be Victoria Monet. So Victoria Monet, I was always seeing her covers on like on, on title and on different mm-hmm. websites. And of course, it's me being a guy that's visually I'm like, who oh, is this with the brown skin with the six pack? OK, but I never even listened to it until I listened to any of her music until really the last project. And I went back and realized who she was. So she really got in being more of a uh, a writer than just the artist. And she was part of, um, I think Dark Child had a group called Purple Rain maybe 10, 11 years ago. Mm-hmm. She was part of that group. And then she was also writing for Diddy, um, Dirty Money. So she's written for a lot of different artists. Um, she's a type that I know she's written. Uh, I realized she's one of Ariana Grande's main writers. So she's, she wrote on Thank You, Next, and Seven Rings. And those were some smash, oh, smash wow. hits. Yeah. And she's from Sacramento, California. She's early, early um, 20s. And when you listen to her music, um, I went back to all of her collection. And there is so much growth within each project. Uh, her first few projects don't even really sound very, very R&B. It has kind of a new age, slightly pop polish, but... It's still, it still, it, it wasn't like a commercial trying to be top 40 pop. It just had more of a kind of a, how do I even explain it? It, it didn't sound like she was trying to force it to be, to be commercial, but it was, it, it wasn't leaning too strong on the R&B side, but the more and more she got into it, the more those R&B influences started to hit. And that's what I'm, I'm more um, into musically, of course. So I know she had a part one and part two of her first two sets of albums. She had a Nightmares and, and Lullabies, Act 1 and Act 2. Then she had Life After Love, Part 1 and Part 2. And they're all some solid albums. She has some features like T.I. on there, so they're definitely solid, but she dropped this uh, project last year called Jaguar, and Jaguar is serious. Like it's, That's when I was introduced to her. Yeah, that's that's what really made me uh, go back and see what she was about, and that whole project to me is fire. I feel like she's showing her range and diversity, and her, her songwriting is just A-plus to me. Uh, the main single is called Moment, and I don't know if you've seen that video. That video is one of the best, most creative videos I've ever seen, and it's it throws you off. It shows that she like selects. She's in a nice house. The ground opens up, and it's just a room full of all these guys with no shirts on. So, of course, the, the, the girls probably like seeing this Chippendale <laughs> angle. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and she picks one of them out, and they go to some crazy eclectic forest, and they they have fun doing what adults do. And at the end of this, she just throws them back in there with the rest of them and, pick, and picks the next guy. And the whole the whole concept of the song is that, you know, like, this is your moment. Like, you just get one chance with me and that's it. And it's mm. basically a very, very um, creative way of saying that she's down for whether it's a one night stand or just for a, a friends with benefits situationship. And the way she throws a guy back in, you could tell he's like, wait, wait, like, like where am I going? What's happening? But the way she visualizes it is it's crazy to me. So. I love just seeing her creativity with that. And every song on there is hitting in a totally different angle. I feel like you've probably heard the song she has with Kalani. That's actually a remix of the song um, Touch Me. And it has Wait, some... Touch Me is her song. Yeah, that's her song. 
Got it. Okay. Yeah, Touch Me is her song featuring Kalani. I think Kalani's only on like the remix, the non-album version, but that That's song, yeah, that song is cold. And I feel like it. it's some slight like uh, possible um, curiosity, experimental tones with her and Kalani being on the same song and knowing both of their history. But it's it's definitely a real sexy, smooth track. And she has one song on there called um, We Might Even Be Falling In Love, which is a strong 70s vibe. And it's too short. It's like 53 seconds. And one thing I can say is a gripe mm. about these new artists. Stop making these songs so short Man. when it's a perfect vibe. Yeah. Just let it go. Just just, just keep going. Anything yeah. under three minutes, just, just make it at least three minutes. At Come least on. three, yeah. Because even, yeah, like, even like Duran Bernard has a song called Him Like That. And that song is a little bit too short. Too for me. short. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's my only gripe about that whole album is that song is so short. But she has a, another song with the same type vibe. Go there with you. And it's, it's straight 70s. It sounds like something that like Children of Zeus or even like JMSN would have would have made that kind of almost a, a, a blue-eyed soul type feel, Loki. I like the fact that she's a woman who is owning her sexuality. Yeah. I mean, it's not up for men or anyone else to define, you know, who she is or for her to appeal to them. It's that she is the prize. And that's my favorite thing, I think. Yeah, for sure. Like she definitely owns it and that's something that stood out to me too. It's like the way she she portrays it. I feel like if a guy had anything negative to say, he's he's obviously being sexist about it because she's yeah. speaking from a, a female perspective that that makes sense and that is um that women can definitely relate to. So I definitely feel like she has a, a long career ahead of her because with her being a strong songwriter who can actually make an album, that's a, a rare combination. Yeah, we don't get a lot of that. That's definitely my fast forward for this week. And from here, we're going to be taking a break. When we come back into it, we're going to have some fun. So we're going to have the drop. Also, we're going to have a beat match. Me and EB are going to have a beat match. As far as all the artists that we just mentioned with the fast forward and the rewind, we have the playlist for y'all. So make sure y'all check out that Spotify playlist. It's going to be in the notes on the uh, within the podcast. So I'll see y'all in a couple of seconds. While we're taking a quick break, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the show. This helps other people find the podcast. All right, welcome, welcome back. Once again, this is Behind the Wheels Podcast, episode number six. So this next segment is going to be called The Drop. We're going to be discussing New Jack Swing, the New Jack Swing era, along with one of my favorite albums of the last few years that actually built on that uh, on that sound. That was a 24 karat Magic album by Bruno Mars. So, EB, the reason I even wanted to discuss New Jack Swing in this episode is because I'm always talking about New Jack Swing. It's always been a a um, almost a fascination for me. But a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, I saw you actually had a question. You're asking, uh, what was the last New Jack Swing album? And from there, I know I responded, you probably went to sleep because it was late on East Coast time, but I had a debate with somebody for almost an hour or two, and it it showed that there's a lot of confusion and just a lot of different ideas of what was New Jack Swing, what is New Jack Swing, and mm. what led to you asking that question? And uh, before I get into it, uh, what, do you, what do you feel was the last New Jack Swing album or... What is New Jack Swing to you? Like, how do you how do you view that? I well, I asked the question because I was listening to SWV's "It's About Time," 
Mm-hmm. And to me, I always say that was the last like great New Jack Swing album. That was the last album that this is clearly, you know, New Jack Swing. These, you know, this is the sound that you're working with. Um, because after that is when, you know, Mary happened and hip hop soul became the thing. And even though people were still using elements of new Jack swing, um, no one was actually making, you know, new Jack swing music. I think, I mean, I guess if you want to talk about the last, like really, you know, big new Jack swing album, it's obviously Michael Jackson. Um, yeah. Uh, anything Teddy Riley worked on up until maybe 94, 93, 94. Until Black Street, yeah. Yeah, until Black Street, I, I would consider it New Jack Swing. Um, and even then, people are like, well, no, it didn't have to just be Teddy Riley, which is true, but also, you know, he's the king of New Jack. Like, no one else could yeah. do it the way that he did. There have been producers that have tried, even producers who have been successful in, you know, using elements of his sound, but he was the he's the one that people think of when they think new jack swing and i asked the question listening to the album because i was trying to figure out it didn't it couldn't have just happened that you know 92 happened 93 happened and all of a sudden it's dead and it's gone like it mm-hmm. no genre dies like that like in the oh, history right. of not even not even disco died like that yeah, you know it, it, it wasn't just like a you know this is the last song we're moving on to the next sound so I felt that people were trying to say that, you know, oh, once people were really trying to say, like, once 91 came around, New Jack Swing was dead, it was over. And nah, I was like, nah, no, it, it, not quite. that's impossible. I mean, that's just, no, it wasn't. It wasn't just dead. And when I asked, I was actually surprised by a lot of the answers because no one was saying the answer that I wanted them to say. <laughs> so maybe I was just wow. pissed off a little bit because I was like, no, yeah. y'all crazy. everybody just got to say SWV. I didn't even know that you were having a debate with someone about. You didn't even see it. I didn't even see it. I was dead to the world at that point, probably. But yeah. what was what was the album that they said was the last one? So it was. Um, so they were actually saying that a lot of songs from that album from SWV were New Jack Swing, and I was kind of at first I was saying I didn't think so, but the more I thought about it, it definitely had a few. Some of the album cuts were definitely New Jack Swing. Now it was tricky because like what's the song that had a remix that was called the New Jack Swing remix? I'm so I'm into you. you. Yeah. So okay, so with that song, the regular version to me had New Jack Swing elements, but it wasn't the drums didn't really swing the same way. But mm-hmm. Teddy came and made what was called a New Jack Swing remix of that song. Mm-hmm. And when you hear his remix, it's like, okay, that does sound more like New Jack Swing versus how the album's version version sounded. But then the opposite happened, I think, for maybe was it right here? Right here, because right the album here, version, the album version is New Jack Swing, but then but the, remix the remix wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like I feel like that album probably was the last that was really bordering it because, like you said, Mary, which came out right around the same time, maybe a few months earlier, is right. when we call it um, hip hop soul. But '92 had a lot of. I would say '92 was the last year that had New Jack Swing hits, and some of those came out in '91, but 92 was the last year that I really had. So you had Portrait, you had the Here We Go, you had the you had the uh, Honey Dip, you had the Joe Public Live and Learn, mm-hmm. and then of course you had like Mike. Uh, most of the singles like Remember the, Remember the Time came out officially on Dangerous in 91, but right. 92 is when that album. I mean, when that single dropped as a single and the video came out. 
-hmm. by 93, that whole sound had changed so much that um, you had like the Tony Braxton had had a song, um, I Belong to You, which to me is not New Jack Swing. You had right. you had Dream Lover from Mariah, which had the the brightness, the upbeatness of New Jack Swing, but it wasn't quite no New Jack to me. Uh, yeah. And then you had a lot of songs that the whole vibe was different by 93. I feel like you had what was, I'm trying to think of some upbeat songs from 93. You had, because um, the whole tempo slowed down by then. 93, 94, the tempo had slowed down. So for one, 93 had a lot of slow jams, period. You had the all the 12 play stuff, but you had the Silk Freak Me, you had the Ace Town Knocking the Boots. So it was like the focus for R&B by, by 93 was just slow jams anyway. You right. had so many of these slow slow cuts and there wasn't as many upbeat R&B songs. So one of the biggest uh, debates I have is, um, is, is Jay Don't Walk Away, New Jack Swing? <laughs> I would say Jade's Don't Walk Away has elements of New Jack Swing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But I can't I can't say it's New Jack Swing. Um, and the sad part is I'm not exactly sure why I can't say it's New Jack Swing. It's like, it just doesn't feel like New Jack Swing. Like, I mean, the drums are there and um, it, it it's vibrant in a way, but I think it was pieces of New Jack Swing mixed with some hip hop soul, like you said, a lot by that time, a lot of people had slowed it down because this is like what, what year was that? 93, 94, 93, 93, 90, yeah. Yeah, 93. By that time, you could only operate in one of two places. You either had to be a balladeer and, mm -hmm. you know, slow your slow jam was going to be, you know, a hit um, like Janet Jackson, anytime, any place like, you know, yeah, something yeah. slow or you had to have um the hip hop machine behind you. You had to, yeah. you know, be a Mary or you had to be even like a Michelle A. Like none of her music was New Jack Swing, but it wasn't. She also came out in the 80s. So and that's a, another misconception. Not everybody that came out in the late 80s from 87 through 92 was New Jack Swing. For sure. Uh, For not sure. everybody was New Jack Swing. And everybody's like, oh yeah, it came out and you know, a lot of people were saying that too. Oh, that song came out in 1990. It's totally New Jack Swing. Yeah. Nah, it, it's not New Jack Swing. What was the first New Jack Swing album or what was the what really credit New Jack Swing or what was the start of it? Because we always say Teddy started it, and then we say it was mainly the make it last forever, like the uh, I wonder, but yeah. we've also had um other debates about that like what would you say may have possibly been the start of it if it wasn't that that make it last forever album or those songs this is where it gets tricky because i really feel like uh not taking any credit away from teddy riley because teddy riley is the king of new jack but yeah. i feel like without what kashif did then new jack swing wouldn't have happened in the same way because you had him well his production and you had these singers singing over uh, his beats. I always simply attribute it to Make It Last Forever, like the album. That's where we always see it. I think there was a, a journalist who actually gave it that name because of what Teddy did on I Want Her. So mm -hmm. one of the debates that we always have that I've been seeing is that people feel that Janet Jackson um, and and uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry actually kind of credit that sound first. With and control? With, uh, more so with like with Nasty and with Mm. And with control and some of those songs, and that that led me to actually asking Mister uh, uh, James Samuel Harris himself, uh, Jimmy Jam. I, I, yeah, I had to actually. I was just curious after that debate that I had 
that came from your tweet. I said, let me just see what he was saying. Let me see if he would be open to actually, you know, giving his side of it. So what so what Jimmy Jam was saying is that back when people credit that that term, New Jack Swing, um, uh, that actually happened after, you know, that, that term didn't exist when they created Nasty, which some people have said was the first New Jack Swing song. Then a couple years later, when they did Rhythm Nation, people saw those as being New Jack Swing because of what Teddy had did after Nasty. So it felt like when he did Nasty, no one was calling that anything as far as a defined genre. But once Teddy might have taken some influence from that and did what he, you know, and created a whole sound from it or evolved on that sound, then when they came back with with everything over the nation, then they saw that as being part of the New Jack Swing sound. So he said, uh, Teddy has even uh, said that Nasty influenced his sound. So he said that he feels that they may have been the architects of the design, but they just built the prototype and that Teddy mass produced it and built the empire from that. So he's the true king of New Jack Swing in his mm. eyes. And what Ooh. he said, um, yeah, and what he said was that, to not speak on the entire text thread, the thing that caught me the most is that he said, in many ways, the, the roots of hip hop are based on James Brown, which we all have to agree with that. He said the roots of Teddy Riley's New Jack Swing was actually I Get Lifted from George McRae, which was produced by Casey from Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah. So that song, I've heard that a million times. Most people might not know it offhand if they're not from that generation. But if if they realize uh, Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice, that came straight from I Get Lifted. Also, uh, Keith Murray, uh, I Get Lifted. Get Lifted. And when he said it, I was trying to think, like, how does that connect to New Jack Swing? And what it is when I'm listening to it, it's the rhythm that he's playing those instruments, the rhythm of that bass, the bass line. It's Mm -hmm. more so that than the drums. So if you listen to like the kind of the syncopation, the slightly offbeat drum patterns that Teddy used with New Jack Swing, that does kind of mimic, it mimics that I Get Lifted uh, bass line. Hmm. So the drums on I Get Lifted are not what, what he's really referring to as much, but it's more so thump, 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 thump. That's kind of the pattern of all New Jack Swing drums. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense to me, but I would have never, ever thought about that. I would have never... Yeah, never in a million years would I have said that song, especially especially that song. That song, yeah. Yeah, like I'm singing it in my head right now, and I'm trying not to sing the chorus and and, <laughs> and just listen to, you know, yeah. the drums and the guitar. And I can hear it, but I never would have I never would have made that connection. I wouldn't I, have I it all. Never, first of all, I wouldn't have gone back that far. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, love to George McRae, he's amazing. Love to Gwen, she's amazing. Love to Betty Wright, who discovered them. You know, all that, they're amazing, but I just never would have put George McRae and New Jack Swing in the same sentence. And wow. And this is straight from Jimmy Jam. Yeah. Straight from Jimmy Jam. I mean, well, yeah. truth in this gospel. I mean, I, you're not arguing with Jesus. Like, we gotta <laughs> say what it is. So, wow, George McRae. It's like, it took me, I had to listen to it a few times. I think if you listen to it now, it's really just in that baseline. Cause I think when he said it, the thing is, we always think about the drums with Jay Swing. It's about that drum pattern, like drums, even yeah. like the drums on like um on Guy on Groove Me that breakdown, Groove Me, and even the breakdown on like the video version of um, Remember the Time. If you listen to that drum pattern and compare that directly to that bass line, and I get lifted, then it's like okay, I kind of hear what he's saying. So he, and that's that's a, a, a strange but unique way of like interpolation because usually you're taking you're, you're imitating the drum pattern but right. he made the drum pattern mimic the bass line and i'm like that's a very for him to build a whole genre from that is crazy to me but the more and more i listen to it i can actually hear it 
So okay, so now I gotta yeah. I gotta do some more of my research because I actually have this book here that I've been meaning to read for like two or three years, um, yeah. called Florida Soul, and okay. it, it touched heavily on like Casey and the Sunshine Band, Betty. They Wright, are from Miami, Georgia yeah, Ray. yeah. Like yeah. it touches on that sound, and I want to research a bit more and you know figure out if I can pinpoint other songs that may have followed that same chain and then that led to Teddy doing you know make it last forever or even led to uh Jam and Lewis doing nasty so with that um about 4 years ago 4 years ago and maybe 2 months ago Bruno Mars released his his album called 24 Karat Magic and of course the main main song that was directly influenced by New Jack Swing was finesse but uh, the, the entire album just had that 80s to early 90s polish to it. And personally, it was definitely uh, one of my favorite albums um, of the, the entire decade, but especially of that time. And my question to you, do you feel that that's a classic album or do we, will it be considered as a classic album or how do you, what was your feeling about the album hearing it? So if, if I'm asked, do I feel it's a classic based on the cultural impact? Completely. Like that, I think that, Bruno did, and I'll come back to this, but Bruno did what other people have tried to do when they failed at, um, yeah. which is try to like capturing lightning in a bottle, like trying to recreate mm -hmm. or even not even recreate for a lot of them, trying to continue the sound of New Jack Swing. It just didn't work for a lot of people. So and yeah. on, you know, in that instance, it's definitely a classic. Now, based on my personal taste and my standards, I wouldn't say it's a classic. I can I definitely know why people like the album. Um Bruno, you know, he did what other people would have done before, but he just made it mainstream. You know, it it's kind of like he was he's allowed to exist as Bruno Mars, but also he can exist outside of 24K. If another hmm. artist did that, they would get trapped in that sound. Like that would be what defined them hmm. and their artistry. They would not be able to evolve past that sound. And the problem with that is you know, the sound just did not evolve commercially. You know, it didn't keep up with everything else going on in the world. Like once hip hop came and took over, yeah. it, was, it was a rap for New Jack Swing. So what he did was capitalize on the nostalgia of the 90s. We were just talking about that the last episode. You know, everybody yeah. has been obsessed with the 90s. And he cap he yeah. capitalized on that moment and did a great job of it. Um, I, I think Teddy Riley actually praised him for it. You yeah, people like Charlie Wilson, uh, who was thanking him for bringing this back. And I was just kind of like, OK, like, no, like, not really. And then I think my gripe with the whole thing was it became a moment for everybody else, but the people who had originated it or people who were faithful to that sound to have an opinion on it and to speak mm -hmm. on it. Like, I remember when that night on Twitter it became like a huge playlist. It was uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Anil Dash educating people on New Jack Swing <laughs> and making a playlist. And I was like, well, it just feels weird. Like, you know, this is something that's, you know, inherently black. And now it's co-opted yeah. and championed by people who are non-black. And they are now seen as the arbiters of the sound that they did not create. So I, it's kind of like, why would it take somebody like Bruno Mars doing that sound for it to be considered, you know, uh, tasteful or style stylish again? It's, you know, it's complicated. Like, yeah. yeah, it's complicated, and I, yeah. I, 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 I fight with it because it was a, 
like it was a good album. You know, it was a, it was a good album. It definitely captured not just New Jack Swing either, because a lot of people, um, I don't think a lot of people have really listened to the album, which is crazy to say, because I think a lot of people were just hyped about the singles. But he explored different sounds. It wasn't just New Jack Swing. Like you said, he went yeah. back to the 80s and he's incorporating all these different sounds. But um, to answer your question, classic, hmm. mm, culturally, and the impact it's made, yeah, it's a classic. Would I will, will I be listening to it, you know, 10, 20 years from now? No, I wasn't listening to it four years ago. But you know, I <laughs> yeah. you know, I I it's it's complicated. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I was definitely I was definitely listening to it and I I hadn't played it in a couple of probably maybe a two-year uh period. I played it maybe a month or two ago and it still sounded just as good. I think to me what it is is that he had the advantage of uh, what my boy Double O, who was a producer, said. He was able to cherry pick the best moments and the best parts of the past, meaning that he's mm-hmm. able to make it sound fresh because like, especially with the main single, 24 Karat Magic, he was able to cherry pick the best moments of each generation to make one song. So what that means is that the main drums sound like Cutie Pie more than anything else. The mm-hmm. lyrics sound like 2016. He's talking about just the slang he's using and um, what's some of the stuff he says on there that just, you can tell it's a modern written song and he, he has a trap breakdown a trap breakdown is a modern type of technique like everything in there he, he's he's cherry picking where the overall sound might be a reminiscent of the the 80s but it's like even the drums were more common with the acoustic type of uh production while the instrumentation was more mid 80s and more jerry mm-hmm. curl funk so with that i feel like he was able to kind of pick and pick and choose the best parts to make these songs like finesse to me was a direct direct derivative of uh 1991 like i even made a a blend of of that with remember the time and it's the same exact key i didn't have i didn't even have to change the key the breakdown matches perfectly from those sweet memories to what he has on the the bridge it's the same exact like blueprint of it bruno so gotta be careful bruno it, yeah it's, it's, yeah it's happening too often your name is coming up and that's true i mean we talked about angie stone earlier you know they the sequence actually sued him before you know because oh. they thought not from that album but from uh uptown funk because oh uptown they were funk. like no this this is our song you know he getting a little too close with all these you you yeah. you approaching robin thick territory yeah you are that that pharrell territory <laughs> You better chill yeah. out because the gays, yeah. they waiting for you to touch anything. They waiting for you to say, let's get it on one time. And they taking your ass to court. It's true. It's true. They'll, they'll get you right away. So he, he does get close with that. And I think overall, um, the album to me, it's a very, very solid, strong album. And it might be one of those generational classics. I think people who weren't there in the nineties to hear yeah. what that sounded like back then are going to love it because of the fact that to them, it, it probably was almost groundbreaking because Compared to what was out in 2016, um, compared to the more trap type of sound, it, it is very musical. So, and that leads into, yeah, and it leads into what you say because a lot of people were debating that. They said, could Usher make this album? Could Chris Brown make this album? If they made it, would their fan base love it? And would Bruno's fan base love it? Or would it be because they're they're already black? Usher was, Usher came out right when New Jack Swing was right, right. on his way out. So. What it like for him? It's almost like he couldn't get away with that novelty of making an album like that. But most of his true fans would rather him do that than to do an album with Zaytoven. So, but that's but what you just said. Like that's the difference. Is Bruno does it, and it's a breath of fresh air, and it's groundbreaking. If yeah. Usher or Chris Brown 
did it, it would be a novelty. It was like, why, yeah. okay, like, why are you throwing back to like, give us something else? Um, I think it's definitely a bit of privilege there because I don't think yeah. Bruno's fan base would have appreciated it in the same way. And then, it, I mean, it's a lot of it, not a lot of it because that takes away from the album. And I'm not trying to do that, but some of it is just stand culture. Like, mm. you know, if a certain artist released something, certain people will love it and certain people uh, you know by default we'll just be like oh no i'm not into it i don't want to hear it. like i was one of the people like i was first like oh no i don't want to hear it and then i had to listen to yeah. it and i was yeah. like all right so let me see what's going on i was like okay i can hear it but i could not help but think like you said people like chris brown people like usher bobby brown would not be able to come yeah, back. bobby brown couldn't use his own sound he to make it himself yeah. not yeah. make an album today or four years ago with that sound and people be like yeah it would be written off as like wow like you really got to get with the times you know all the groups that come back from that time period like we were talking about uh high five and you were saying you could tell that they were trying to keep up with the new with sound the when they came back yeah. yeah it's like when our artists come back they there's an adjustment that they have to make or they run the risk of either sounding dated or sounding like they're trying way too hard yeah and that would have been what everybody else did but bruno mars i think bruno mars is the only artist because I can't even think of like a Justin Timberlake would have not been able to do that. Timberlake, yeah, not, yeah, not, not, not that direct, not, not, not that yeah. direct. So it, it, like yeah. it's, it's complicated in that way because it's not just you know like a Justin Bieber would never have been able to do that or nah. you know it's, it's like the right person did it because you were able to catch that catch that lightning in the bottle. Um, and then even when finesse was a song, I think. Because correct me if I'm wrong, Cardi wasn't even on the original. Nope, she wasn't. And I was used like, to play, yeah. And that song didn't even, because the album dropped late 2016. I would play Finesse. It got no love when I would play it at parties. It didn't yeah. get love until he put Cardi on it. And that was just the most, I, I honestly didn't think it was going to work that way, but it did because she was able to channel her New York, like her early 90s right. New York. And it right. that's what made the song blow up was that video and her on it. So, right. It was like yeah. one of those instances where like all the pieces come together at the right time. Yeah. It reminds me of SWV with right here, like the original. Nobody was really listening to the original. I love the original, but until we had the remix that came out with the human nature sample, and then yeah. all of a sudden everybody loves right here. It's like that same thing, you know, finesse, like you said, nobody's checking for it at first. Add Cardi to it, and now we got a party. Yep, that's what happened. So, yes, yeah, so overall, I, I do feel like that album. Um, I definitely enjoyed what it was at that time. And speaking of that, that was based on that 90s type of party energy. And I think what would be fun for a beat match today would be kind of a change of pace. I think we always do artists, but I think there's so many different things that we we can debate. Like we just mentioned last episode, people love the 90s. They idolize the 90s and they they worship the 90s for everything from, from the hip hop, from gangster rap to lyricism to slow yeah. jams to reggae, dance hall, the to Britney Spears and them, like whatever it is. And I personally feel like the 2000s might have had better party music when it comes to hip hop and R&B than the 90s. What you think? What do you think? I feel like the 90s just has the edge, um, but we can definitely beat match that because I would love another notch on this win. Felt that I'm hey. winning. So I actually get... don't think you're winning right now. Whatever it is, I think yeah, it's time for you to take this. Hey, look, it's it's time to take, take an L, so. So for the last episode, we actually had a beat match debating uh, who was the better producer between Timbaland and Pharrell. Our producers uh, said it was a draw. They couldn't pick either direction. Uh, from the hashtag, it looked like more people actually did 
agree with what I said as far as Timberland being the winner. So I might have to say I won that one, but either way, it's all love. It's you know, it's we're gonna see what happens at this one. We're gonna see what happens. So all oh. right, so today today's beat match will be 90, 90s party music versus two thousands party music. And EB is my guest as always. I'll let you go ahead and uh state your case. So uh, as always, the beat match is uh judged by our two our two producers that's melissa and the lady and of course we all grew up around the same generation so i'm gonna see what they say and you know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see about this so go ahead and state your case on that 90s is better for several different reasons but the main one is that um clubbing and you know partying in the 90s it happened before hip-hop completely took over and you know music became indistinguishable like the genres became indistinguishable so in the 90s you could go to a club and you could dance to r&b that was just a straight r&b song you could dance to an actual dance song you know by people like cc peniston or robin s or crystal waters you could do reggae in the 90s you could do dance hall you had the patras and you had the shaggies and you had the beanie mans and then you could also you know pop was big so for a while, especially around the mid 90s, when pop really started taking off the mid to late 90s, like you could like everybody didn't have to go to the same place and listen to the same stuff. Like I feel like they did in the 2000s, um, even gospel. I mean, I've been in the club and Kurt Franklin stomp <laughs> came on and it was like a GP. Are you with me? Oh, yeah. You know, it was like, <laughs> See, like, you know, it's like, oh, we dance into gospel now. We're clubbing to gospel. Um, I don't think, you know, all of those genres were able to exist without major core elements of hip hop. And the song could be a hit in the club without a rapper in the 90s. Like, you could have songs that were hits without rappers. Um, The sound, sonically, is just more diverse. From the early 90s, where you have New Jack Swing, to the mid-90s when you have hip-hop soul, and then by the end of the 90s, by the time that um, Candy and Tiny found pens and they started writing the Snow Scrubs and the Bills, 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 you know, it was like, oh, all of these sounds are different, but they still exist within, you know, one decade. They're all still very 90s. And we had, you know, Miami Bass. We had the Uncle Luke's and the Two Live Crews, and we had the new york club sound and you had the philly club sound then you had everything happening on the west coast with dr dre like in his to me in his prime um with the snoop and the nwa and you know all of that in the early 90s taken through the end of the 90s just made it the perfect atmosphere for clubbing and dancing then you go to the south you had no limit and cash money cash money was taken over in the 99 2000s in 98, you know, they they proclaimed in 1998, like, you know, this is going to be it. And it probably is like one of the biggest club songs or the biggest party songs of the decade. Um, And then, you know, like back then, like I said, with the dance music, people made songs specifically for the purpose of clubbing, separate from their other material. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, I mean... I feel like it's definitely close. It's not one of those where I'm like, nah, it's about 2000s, not the 90s. Of course, the 2000s followed up the 90s. Right, right. But just from being at so many parties and just from 
it's a slight, slight recency bias. I, I will say that. But even beyond that, I feel like the 2000s almost specialized in party music compared to the 90s. A lot of the music that we mentioned, even that you just mentioned, like even with the Dre and Snoop, even with the um, some of the R&B, like the Bills, 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 those songs made it to the club because they were big as in the lane that they were in. So they were big G-Funk, they were big R&B, but they weren't like made for a party. And I feel like one thing I realized, which is crazy to me, is even the 40 to 50 year old crowd prefers hearing 2000s music than the 90s music at a party. And it's surprising to me. I didn't think so until I was DJing these parties and realized that they gravitate to those songs more. So with the 2000s, the East Coast had their last dominant, dominant run. Jay-Z was in his peak of peaks. He had the I Just Wanna Love You, Big Pimpin'. You had the Philly, but they, they had the flip sides and they had the rock the mics. Uh, New York was still dancing. They had the special delivery all the way up to chicken noodle soup and that, that whole era. They had Lean Back was huge. Of course, the biggest song of the decade was 50 Cent in the club. And even if you don't want to hear it as much now, In the Club was a major, major, major song. And to contrast In the Club, in that same period, the second biggest song was Get Low from Lil Jon. You hear Get Low and those songs, that whole twerk movement to go along with Crunk. I went to clubs in Atlanta in 0203 where it was either Crunk or Twerk. And it's like, it was so many Crunk classics. You had the the uh, Never Ever. You had the um the, the TIs. You had Nuck If You Buck, which you still play that. Like basically all the HBCU classic songs beyond... I would say a couple of Luke songs beyond the um, Juvenile. Most HBCU classics came from the 2000s. You had the White Me Downs. You had the Geeked Up and you had the D4L type songs. You had Blow the Whistle in 06. You had you had um, International Players Anthem. You had you had Swag Surf. And even with R&B, I get that R&B wasn't as dependent on rap, but you still had your last wave of true R&B party songs. You had the You Don't Have to Call, the Mario Just a Friend. You had the, uh, it's R&B hip hop, but you had the On the Hotline type songs from Pretty Ricky. You had Peaches and Cream and Dance with, with me uh, from 112. And I would say that the 2000s was probably the peak of like the super sexual slow jam songs that you heard at the end of the night. Like in the 90s, it was more so, okay, we face-to-face -face dancing. You Toward the end of the 90s, you started getting the the um, genuine, the uh, none of your friends business in T-shirt and panties. But the 2000s, you had, it got deep, deep. You had the the uh the Janet Would You Mind type songs. You had you had these type of slow jam songs that, that were not just slow jams but slow grind. The slow grind to me peaked in. I know you mentioned reggae, but to me, dance hall probably peaked in the 2000s and even Soka came along. You had the No Letting Go, the Kevin Little Turning Me On type songs. So that's just uh, my, my first, you know, I got cut off with the buzzer right there. But um I feel like yeah now, like, you, you made you made very good points, but I think for me and for a lot of people, the most of the club music that came out in the 2000s, they all kind of followed the same exact formula because they were specifically being made for the club. So after a while, every crunk and B or every twerk song, they all kind of get repetitive and they sound the same. So yeah, it'll keep you dancing all night because you, you know, it's like you listening to one song for 30 minutes and then they change the song and you listen to something else <laughs> but in the 90s like i mean nine, the 90s are still still a thing now in 2021 now you know people are still gravitating towards that 90s song eventually i i hope 2000s parties will start to happen but 
I don't remember the last time I heard anybody or saw anybody advertise for a 2000s party because oh. it's, you know, I don't remember the last time everybody was going, you know, wearing the white tees and, <laughs> you know, the baggy pants, you know, and the A1s. I mean, like, yeah, let's party. But 90s parties are definitely a thing. And, I mean, in the 70s, you had DJs breaking the sound of, you know, young America, the sound of the 70s. That started happening again in the 90s. You saw DJs kind of be important again. They were brought back to the spotlight. Like you had the Funk Master Flexes and you had the Fat Man Scoops, the Jazzy Jeffs, the DJ Screws. Like you had these people who are not necessarily creating the music, but they're definitely making a way for the music to be played in the clubs and influence what is played in the clubs. I get that. And I. As far as you saying that, you know, it was a lot of imitations. I do get that, but I feel like there are so many songs that stood out. So even, I mean, honestly, that happened in the 90s too. Because even when you mentioned the bass sound, a lot of those songs sound the same. Once Luke had two live crew and they had the Doodle Brown type songs, I Want to Rock, it was a million of those. And even a lot of folks don't realize that there are like 10 different groups. You had the Poison Clan and Splat Clack and 69 Boys and two live crew. And they all had the same type of exact formula but with, with twerking i mean you had different types of, of songs i mean she got a dunk don't sound like pop lock and drop at all they don't sound like whistle while you twerk they don't sound like two shirts shake that monkey or chopper style so you still have some variation the 2000s did specialize in having dances so by 06 07 it did feel like half the hits were like different dances but that still does live on and when it comes to 2000s parties i mean it's an age thing but i'm seeing a lot more 2000s parties pop up the 90s and of course, the kids who were born in the 90s, they love going to a 90s party to dress up 90s, but they only know 10, 15 songs. After you get past Poison and Candy Rain and this is how we do it, they get more hyped to Shanti and Ja Rule and, to, and doing the chicken head to, to Jaquan and Chingy. So I feel like, Not to Jay me, the, the 2000s did have that peak. And even a lot of the sing-alongs, you had the last couple sing-alongs. You had those Can't Believe It T-Pain songs, the Invented Sex, I Love You Girl. You had Chris Brown, yo, the, the last time you got a breakdown, I want to be where you are and you waiting for that breakdown to come up. I mean, you had Confessions. So even with Confessions, when I talked about those slow grind songs, you had those Can You Handle It and Seduction type songs on one side, but in the middle you had Bad Girl. On the whole up, upbeat sides you had Yeah. And even if we tired of Yeah, put on the black version. That's Freak Leak. So it's like, I feel like we did have so many so many epic classic um, party songs that you still do here. And just listening to a lot of the young artists now, the Megs and them, Sweetie, they sampling a 2000 song every week. So it shows that a lot of those songs do did have a, a long lasting type of um, type of replay value. And that's a lot of different styles that came within those 10 years because 2000 didn't sound anything like 2009. So that's the way I see it. Okay. Um, so in the 90s you had songs like uh cnc music factory is going to make you sweat black boxes everybody everybody these are dance songs you have whoop there it is you know we talk about florida we got dmx's party up we got poison we got opp we got flavor in your ear we got only you we got the humpty dance we got destiny shouts with no 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 we got uh cc pennison with finally we got Faith Evans with Love Like This. You know, everybody got a $20 bill. They putting their hands up. You know, you got Most Def with Miss Fat Booty. I mean, you got Super Thug by Nori. Like, that is like the ultimate party song. You got, if you're in New York, I don't know about over there on the West Coast, but in New York, Deja Vu, it's Peter Guns, 
It was cute. I, I like that I song mean, that, that came that, out. That yeah, it was rap, cute. You know, everybody is uptown. Yeah. Now, if you wasn't from the Bronx, you know, <laughs> this rap shit probably never would be going <laughs> on. You had my boo, the ghost town DJs. Come on. That that is the ultimate song. Back that ass up, Lucini. Put your hands with my eyes can see. Here we go. Make them say uh cold rock a party, Lil Kim, Big Mama thing, no time. The, yeah, the, East, the East Coast did have the East Coast was definitely dominant, but I feel like when you're talking about them 2000s when it comes down south, I mean, we had so many bangers in just in, in different and different um arenas. So even beyond what I was saying, just the different dance movements. I mean, the, the West Coast came back with jerking, like the West Coast was never even really big with party music but we had jerking and hyphy so that's tell me when to go that's the you're a jerk the cat daddy type songs but then with all the lean with it rock with it type songs but whether you love or hate soldier boy soldier boy gave us some some party classics that that the kids and the adults are still dancing to you even had the the line dances you had the wobble you had cupid shuffle you had the um cha-cha slide you put these on for anybody that's a corporate party that's somebody grandma dancing that's somebody kid dancing I seen the grandma do it with a baby in her arm to it. So, you know, you you had those. You had Beyonce, Beyonce Peak. You mentioned no, no, no. That's cute, but you had Get Me Body. You had Upgrade You. You had Lil Wayne's whole peak, whether it's mixtape or commercial. You had, you know, I can keep going with it, but I'm going to roll and say 2000s, I think, might have an edge with it. So I'm going to let this, uh, you know, that's my time. So I'm going to let the producers, Miss Naledi and... Uh, and the lady and Melissa are going to decide that. So let's see what they have to say. Uh, so this was hard as usual every week um, or every other week for me. But the arguments were great. I think um, when I think about house, like when I think about party music, when I hear 90s, I think of house party music. When I hear 2000s, I think of party music. And it could be because of the age I was when those things happened or and also the type of music that was out. Uh, so some of the arguments were good as far as like, I can't deny when I'm in Atlanta in the 2000s, what is that music like? Crunk is everywhere, the influence is everywhere. But then I started thinking about how the coming of age for me was really like the end of the 90s in middle school. And that set the tone for everything I liked after that. And that's like closing out the 90s with a Hard Knock Life tour. And I'm way too young to be in there. And I got my ticket stubs for Pup Daddy and the family. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> they kind of, that era for me set the groundwork for the next one. And then I think about like, from a party perspective, yeah, 90s parties are everywhere and they're kind of annoying at this point. But it's because there's so many, um, so many ways you can go. Like you really could do full R&B 90s. You could do more party. And then we had that East Coast run and I'm just like, I can't deny that impact when if somebody told me they were going to do a party in that way, I would be more excited, even though I was in middle school when it first started. So for me, I'm leaning 90s, but 2000s was definitely uh, influential in me as an adult and just like of age to party in club. But 90s for me is like full nostalgia for so many reasons. And I think you can always win with a 90s hit. And 90s influenced everybody else after that. Um, yeah, this was hard too for all the same reasons. I mean, we're we're all around the same age, and so we weren't in the clubs in the 90s. We were in the clubs in the 2000s. Um, and 90s, if I'm at home cleaning, I'm turning on 90s music to get crunk. Mm-hmm. And then I say crunk like that was when that was, but <laughs> getting, getting jiggy, say jiggy, <laughs> yeah, getting jiggy. With it. But and and with you guys saying like 
like the 90s are everywhere that's because trends happen every 20 years so like yeah the 90s are everywhere right now but in like a year it's gonna switch over to the 2000s and it's gonna be the same thing um but this is really hard and so i'm going just based on your arguments and so based on the arguments and what music was put forth and what songs were named i'm going with the 2000s we got a split okay okay so i mean i guess what's going to have to have to happen is that we're going to have to have a 90s versus 2000s party and have all three of y'all in the building i might make eb dj i might make you dj and be 90s i'm gonna show you some basic technique and we're gonna see you're gonna see who wins it you know honestly that sounds yeah. real fire like i would yeah there. yeah after we, after corona after is gone. corona yeah way after we all and got vaccinated right yeah. yeah yeah after all <laughs> that and um you know what i'll say so since it's a tie that means we have to let the viewers and the listeners uh decide on this one so go ahead and hashtag us behind the wheels pod let us know what decade do you think made better party music not just lyrical not just whatever it is but just when it comes uh, specifically to party music what was you think was the better decade and with that I guess we have to go ahead and conclude this episode. We will be back for episode seven. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. Once again, we do have a playlist that's going to feature all the music that we mentioned today. It's going to be in the notes for the episode. Uh, it's going to be a Spotify playlist. But once again, thank you all for listening. I am DJ Artistic. Find me at DJ R-T-I-S-T-I-C. That's on Instagram and Twitter. Also on Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash R-T-I-S-T-I-C-310. And thank you very much to everybody who tuned in for New Year's Eve on Twitch. It was a legendary night. Almost cracked a thousand. I had 987 people listening and watching, but it was legendary. I played so much 2000s music that night and some, <laughs> and some 90s and some 90s. But yeah. no, but thank you for everybody who tuned into that. But um, EB, let everybody know where to find you at. Yeah, I'm everywhere, worldwide, social media. EB for Prez, EB, the number four, Prez is spelled P-R-E-Z as in zebra. And that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere, TikTok, you know, find me. There we go. There we go. Well, I appreciate you all for tuning in and continue to spread the word to your people and hashtag us at Behind the Wheels Pod. And also make sure you send us an email if you have uh, any suggestions for the drop or anything that you want us to, to discuss in the next episode Go ahead and send us an email to behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. We'll see you all next time. Out. Out. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Muntz and the lady Yahuma Sek. It's edited by Melissa D. Muntz. And the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.